you know, when investors are thinking about the asset class or, you know, fund managers are thinking about, um, you know, sort of building these, these portfolios, um, you have to um, uh, uh, build, whether you're building a direct portfolio or whether you're building a hybrid portfolio that's got fund interest and things in it, You've got to do it with a sense of um, what what happens when these natural sort of ebbs and flows, both from a macro perspective as well as sort of a, a venture specific, um, come into play. Welcome to Array Podcast, the platform to discover hacks and skills you need at different stages of building your business. I'm your host, Shruti Gandhi, founder and managing partner of Array Ventures. Array Ventures invests in founders focused on solving problems leveraging big data, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. Visit us on Array.vc. Today on the show, we have Roland Reynolds from Industry Ventures. Roland started one of the early fund funds investing in emerging managers in 2007. He then joined forces with Industry Ventures in 2009 to start their fund funds initiative. Industry Ventures as a firm started in 2000 now manages $3.5 billion in assets under management. They invest across the entire stack of the venture capital ecosystem in secondaries, hybrids, directs, and fund of funds. Roland dives deep into their investment criteria, how they decide to work with their investments, and where the market is today compared to 1999. Let's ask Roland a question that is top of mind for many investors. I'm curious to see what is the difference between markets in 1999 versus now which is mid 2018, and how industry thinks about investing in the current market. Yeah, I mean, look, we're all trying to understand what's happening in venture today to put it in the context of what we've seen before. I'm not naive enough to think, oh, it's totally different this time and everything's going to be just fine. Uh, you know, at, at heart, I try to be sort of pragmatic, but I, but I do think there are a number of, of um differences today versus then, and, you know, will the end result be different? I, I, I think the end result will be different, but um, but nevertheless, I, um, I certainly uh, uh, cannot articulate for you, uh, you know, exactly why um, there's, 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 there's no risk this time around, and, and it, it, because, because it's not true. The venture asset class is a risky one, but the reality is, the truth of the matter is, we don't know, and no one else does either. And with that sort of humility of understanding that we can never know, um, then that has really important implications for how we build portfolios. We build portfolios within the venture asset class that are built to endure over investment cycles. Our funds are 10, you know, 12-year fund lives. We know that there are going to be recessions and bull markets inside of those funds. And so we pull all the sort of, you know, standard levers that, that one would imagine in terms of portfolio diversification and number of companies and vintage year diversification and sector and blah, 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 all those things. There's nothing unusual in there. But it's really critical um, because we as a firm have been around for 18 years and I've been building this, you know, particular strategy going back all the way to 2006. And we were incredibly well served um, through the Great uh, Recession by having portfolios um, with, with, uh, with, with all of these elements of diversification. And so, um, you know, when investors are thinking about the asset class or, you know, fund managers are thinking about, um, you know, sort of building these, these portfolios, um, you have to 
um, uh, uh, build, whether you're building a direct portfolio or whether you're building a hybrid portfolio that's got fund interest and things in it, you've got to do it with a sense of um, what, what happens when these natural sort of ebbs and flows, both from a macro perspective as well as sort of a, a venture specific, um, come into play. So how do you think about investing in early stage versus late stage company in this market today? One of the things that I think is, um, you know, most notable in the venture market today, uh, all rounds of funding, A, B, C, um, D plus, are at elevated levels uh, compared to, you know, um, almost any historical time frame. However, the the most significant um, elevation um, and activity and capital investment is happening at that sort of you know series D plus. So I'm not saying there's no risk at the early stage. Of course there is, um, but the early stage risks today are still more in tune with what the early stage risks have always been in venture. Meaning, does the product work? Is there a market need? Um, is there a team that can execute? Um, and, and, and these are the perennial uh, questions of, of early stage venture and, and, and that what makes it so, um, so uh, um, uh, hard. But, but the questions at the later stage part of the market are really much more around valuation um, and what is the appropriate valuation. And there's all kinds of really smart investors, crossover, hedge fund, mutual fund, um, even sovereign wealth, et cetera, these are, these are not um, naive people, but, but uh, they see in certain companies opportunities for growth, uh, new market development, you know, extraordinary uh, revenue generation um, that in many regards at that later stage seems to me, I don't spend all my time day to day there, is very different than the companies that were raising uh, significant amounts of money at very high valuations back in 99 and 2000. The scale of most of these companies today that fit into sort of the unicorn, um, you know, clothing, those companies, their scale, their growth rates, et cetera, are, are uh, you know, by and large, wildly different than the companies in 1999. Now, are they worth the values that are being assigned to them is a separate question, but a long way of saying, I think most of the noise and most of the um, uh, the hand wringing around venture today, much more what's happening at that later stage part of the market, um, and and less so around any fundamentally new development um, uh, with with the risk profile of the early stage company. Due to proliferation of emerging managers at the earlier stages and lack of resources due to small fund sizes, many industry people talk about market consolidation of managers over time. I was curious about Roland's thoughts on that, and his points struck a chord with me. I don't think you're going to see massive consolidation at the kind of, let's call it, seed and even Series A level. Um, and I, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why I, I think that. I do think you're going to... Uh, see um, even more consolidation at the um, sort of, uh, you know, Series B, Series C plus 
kind of um, uh, level. And, and so specifically what, what I'm getting at, and, and you can see this a little bit, I think, in the uh, just, you know, venture fundraising over the last um, decade or, or uh, even probably the last, you know, 12, 13 years, um, massively concentrated in the, the absolute dollars, right? You'll have somewhere between 30, 40 billion dollars U.S. being raised for the venture asset class, um, uh, kind of year in and year out over over um, uh, the last uh, uh, several years. And the, the the bulk of that capital, somewhere on the order of about half of it, is concentrated in a small handful of firms, right? 20-ish plus kinds of, of firms. Um, the NEAs, the TCBs, the IVPs, um, and and so I do think that the um, you know from an overall fundraising perspective and the ability to write large checks and um, I think there's a um, in that sort of later stage part of the market, but on the other end of the spectrum then at the sort of the seed or the Series A level, um, I think the innovation that's uh, been taking place and I think still continuing at a torrid pace um, from the uh, GP venture firm perspective in the asset class over the last sort of 10 or, or 12 years, um, I think there's a number of, uh, of factors that have um, both um, made the seed and Series A part of the market quite fertile ground for the, uh, the, the, the sort of new firm, new fund um, formation. And I don't think that's likely to change dramatically um, here as far as I can see over the next 10 years or so. So how do you think will the market evolve and will there be more solo general partners, uh, sole emerging managers that will come up and continue to thrive in the next 10 years? A decade ago, the idea of a sole general partner was not a common one. It wasn't well understood. It wasn't very well accepted. Um, and and for, again, we could have a long conversation about a host of reasons. Um, even the institutional investment community um, has, has really, um, I think, embraced uh, the concept of, of sole general partner um, firms. And some of those firms have aspirations to always be sole general partners, which has implications for relatively modest fund sizes, right? 30 to maybe $50 million fund sizes. And that's what those individuals want to raise for, for you know, the next decade or so. And they're quite comfortable doing that. There are other fund managers who start as a sole general partner and then want to bring on more partners. N neither is um, right or wrong. But my point here is that um, particularly uh, in 2018, and I think over the next sort of decade or so, the sole general partner as a institutionally viable investment opportunity and option um, is 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 one that I think is is pretty well accepted today. Um, and then two, the the requirements then you know, and and sometimes it's two general partners or so. Um, who are clearly not getting rich on the management fees of these smaller um, funds, but if they do their job right, uh, they can make enormous wealth for themselves and their limited partners and do great for their companies. You know, in uh, 20, 30, $40 million funds, even smaller, um, that generate a 5X or a 10X. Um, and so the wealth creation and the opportunity that keeps those people engaged, you know, on an annual basis, they may be making not that much money um, relative to their, 
actual earning power if they went out into the sort of typical sort of finance world. But the point is they're taking, just like entrepreneurs that run companies, um, these emerging managers are taking sub-market annual compensation for the opportunity to um, make significant returns on their carry. And I think that uh, incentive um, is in place. Uh, I think we've seen a number of managers take advantage of that and have that work out for them. Um, folks like Chris Saka at Lowercase Capital, who had an $8 million fund you know, that's generated tremendous uh, uh, returns for his limited partners and him, himself, rightfully so. And so my point here is that um, I think that is, is, is well understood and is firmly in place. And the formation of uh, new companies and acquisition and um, this sort of ecosystem of entrepreneurs who are leaving companies and then would like to start a career managing a new fund or maybe even doing sort of angel investments as their, as their path to get there. And this is where we're seeing lots of really interesting opportunities before these individuals even become traditional fund managers. There's all kinds of on-ramps to uh, uh, launching a career as a fund manager. And that's where these structures like SPVs and other kinds of unique um, funding uh, uh, mechanisms come into place. And so we and others can help these individuals transition from entrepreneur um, and operator roles to venture uh, roles for, for those that are crazy enough to want to do it. And so my point here is that with relatively few dollars, an institutional um, marketplace that is willing to accept sole general partners. And I think some pretty good research, and certainly has been our own thesis, even in the absence of quantifiable data a decade ago, but the, dec the, the quantifiable data is becoming clearer and clearer. But even a decade ago, when we started investing emerging managers, you know, evidence that these smaller funds have historically and are likely to continue to generate outsized returns, both for limited partners as well as for the, the general partners. And so a long-winded way of saying, I think all of those sort of characteristics come to, to play um, at the sort of um, likelihood, in my view, that I don't see why there will be consolidation at that seed and series A level. I think for those firms that start there and then want to grow their asset base and want to bring on more partners, they will move upstream. Many of them do. Many of them do it successfully. And, and, um, and then they will have to figure out, you know, w what is their place vis-a-vis -vis some of the, the larger capital players there. But there'll be, you know, 10 new entrepreneurs or, or angels who are waiting in the wings to begin to launch their own um, career in that, in that uh, sort of seed and, and Series A market. And so it doesn't strike me that there's a, a, um, a likely case that you're going to see consolidation at that sort of seed, pre-seed, or, or Series A level. Early stage venture returns can take a long time, and often the fund manager has to go raise their second or third fund before they see any realized returns. How should a second-time fund manager think about their fundraise? And what kind of success should they demonstrate for their fund two or three raise? I don't think there's a magic bullet in there. I mean, obviously, um, over time, uh, returns matter. Um, I think the really um, tricky piece of the venture asset class, and this goes back to part of the conversation we were having, uh, you know, um, at the beginning of this uh, uh, conversation, which, which is um, the, the 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 ability to, as a limited partner, look at a fund manager um, and know exactly how fund one is going to turn out. 
um, is is virtually impossible by the time the fund manager is raising fund two, right? So if you're an entrepreneur, an operator, as I think many of your listeners are, think of it as um, you know going from a Series A or perhaps even a seed uh, with a, with a fund one for a, an emerging manager, and then going to raise you know perhaps your Series B or Series C, and that's your fund two. And there's obviously you know important milestones that have been met along the way to enable either the company to raise subsequent rounds or these fund managers to raise subsequent funds. Um, but the truth of the matter is many companies that raise a successful Series C or so ultimately don't end up successful. Um, and then obviously there are many who do and, and they become wildly successful. And my only point here is to say that the challenge for emerging managers, general partners, um, is uh, to um, have enough time to prove out that their fund one and their fund two are are well-constructed portfolios able to generate returns. And but but as we all know, that typically takes um, an extended period of time. And so how those portfolios are built, both in terms of you know the distribution of the of the specific companies, the co-investors, the you know frankly the the the, the one of the critical things as you imagine is is the reputation of the fund manager among the entrepreneurs backed. Is that manager helpful? Is that manager um, you know spending the requisite time working through the problems, et cetera? And so, um, for us as a limited partner, thinking about our fund managers and recognizing we're not going to have you know lots of realized returns, fund one to fund two, um, we're trying to get at uh, these sort of interim questions of of um, of success there. And if managers are doing that you know correctly, then by fund three or fund four, uh, hopefully the the uh, the actual results of fund one um, will will um, will have followed uh, you know the, the the proper construction, et cetera. And so, along with a way of saying, I don't think there's any sort of key magic um, uh, a, a bullet to to um, you know creating that sort of interim success in the in the absence of. Um, you know, sometimes we have fund managers who do a good job. They might get a little bit lucky and one of their fund one companies, you know, absolutely blew it out. Um, and so they've got, you know, a 3x, 4x realized fund one by the time they're raising, you know, a fund um, two or fund three. That doesn't happen very often. For the vast majority of fund managers, it's a much slower, steadier um, uh, climb from there. And so a lot of it is just doing what you said you would do. Being that person who built the portfolio in the way that you said you would, um, that is the kind of person in your relationship with your entrepreneurs and your investors, um, and, and building portfolios that are designed to succeed. Um, you know, we have a personal bias that more concentrated portfolios, 20 to 25 companies or so in a fund, which has implications for ownership and things, that's probably the right model from our standpoint to generate outsized returns. Um, uh, it probably can happen with, you know, 70, 80 um, kinds of uh, uh, number of companies. But, but along with a way of saying that whatever was your strategy day one, build your portfolio uh, in that fashion, consistent with what you told investors. Um, and, and, and things like that become an important part of trying to make that decision for, um, uh, you know, for us to reinvest in fund two when it's uh, it's still quite murky as to exactly how fund one will, will, will play out. Roland, is there a way a fund two or three general partner can think about some quantitative benchmarks on where they stand compared to other funds, their vintage or sector? 
With Industry Ventures working with so many emerging managers, you have access to such metrics. Is there any merit in sharing such benchmarks with the managers? Yeah, as I, as I think about it, I'm, I'm not sure. It'd actually be a really interesting exercise. I'm not sure we would have anything that's benchmarkable, meaning, um, you know, I'd really want to think, I, I, I tried to give you a sense of some of the things that we look for, um, but 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 it's situational and case specific. I don't know, really would be an interesting exercise. I should give it some thought and I appreciate the, the idea, but my deep suspicion is there won't be enough sort of universality, if there is such a word, of the of the principles um, that, that you could say, okay, you know, fund managers need to have X, Y, and Z. For example, here, you know, here's this one. E- even if you said, I mean, I would say over the last decade, by and large, um, the early stage part of the venture market has been a good place to be. And most early stage firms that are doing a reasonable job have pretty significant paper profits and markups in their portfolio. Typically, zero liquidity, right, in the first three um, years or so, but 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 pretty good uh, markups and high IRRs. That is just a function of the uh, that that is a necessary but insufficient condition to ultimately generating good cash on cash returns. And what I'm trying to get at here is, so we might kid ourselves and come up with a metric that says, okay. Well, a fund manager needs to have a 1.3x and you know 21% net IRR by year three of their fund because over the last 10 years, you know that that's what we've seen. But but that's just a complete farce, right? For for, for all the reasons that you know and I know and, and anyone who understands the asset class knows, which is subsequent rounds don't always sort of pan out, et cetera. And so along with a way of saying that um, it would be a really interesting exercise. We probably should spend some time on it, industry ventures, but I'm 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 fearful that we would come to the realization that any other benchmark we might come up with is either not applicable across the board. Um, or is just much more a reflection of a particular market cycle and environment than it is something else. But but nevertheless, I, I, I will I will give it some further thought. Maybe you and I can have subsequent conversations about it. It'd be an interesting thought exercise at the least. At this point, I want to thank Roland for his insights and bringing some transparency to this highly opaque industry. I'm sure this is a very valuable podcast for all emerging managers and founders out there trying to learn about the industry and their performance. To learn more about Industry Ventures, stay tuned here and keep listening for the rest of the podcast. A quick overview on Industry Ventures today. We manage about $3.5 billion of aggregate assets all within the venture capital um, asset class. Um, but, but we really think of ourselves as um, an investment manager uh, in this uh, space. Um, and so my partner, Hans Wildens, who started Industry Ventures back in 2000, um, was a, um, an entrepreneur himself. He and his brother had started some companies and had some good success uh, and sold uh, one of their companies. Um, and uh, that launched, uh, to Akamai, by the way, and, and, and that launched um, Hans's uh, efforts back in the year 2000 to basically start uh, a small uh, venture capital fund, and uh, what Hans found about a year and a half into that exercise was um, uh, this was having to coincide with the sort of um, the uh, internet bubble, um, and um, his 
timing was all wrong as it related to um, primary investments in early stage venture backed businesses, but Hans being um, the entrepreneur that he is, uh, pivoted and uh, discovered and really was one of the early pioneers within venture capital of the secondary market. Um, and so without going into great detail there, over the last 18 years, um, the secondary investment strategy has been you know, one of the pillars um, of, of industry ventures. We manage funds there in the size range today, about $500 million. Um, I joined Industry Ventures about nine years ago, um, and at the time, Industry Ventures had um, only the secondary strategy that, that Hans had pioneered. Um, prior to my joining Industry Ventures in 2009, I had started a standalone venture capital fund of funds that was investing on a primary basis in newer, smaller uh, venture capital fund managers, sort of the proverbial emerging manager. Um, and I'd started that program back in 2006. I raised about $30 million on my own for a standalone fund of funds, um, and, and that was novel at the time. Um, and I ended up merging that uh, strategy with Industry Ventures three years later um, one, it was 2009. Uh, the world was on fire. It was the midst of the sort of great recession. It was going to be very challenging for me to raise um, a larger uh, subsequent uh, fund, which is really sort of um, kind of you need to be in that sort of $100 million or so asset range um, to have a self-sustained uh, standalone fund of funds business. But in many ways, as I um, you know, really fundamentally believe, it, it happens if you take the entrepreneurial view of your career and, and what you're building. Um, it, it was a moment, uh, much like Hans's pivot uh, that he had made back in 2000 to focus on the secondary market, um, it was a realization for me that uh, there was a great core strategy to focus on these small early stage fund managers, um, but I wasn't in the right position um, to be able to grow that business on its own, and there were some components that were not taking advantage of the changes that began and were underway in the in the venture asset class back in the 2007-8 timeframe. Specifically, what I mean is um, when I ultimately merged with Industry Ventures, I had gotten to know Hans about a year before in 2008 because I had invested in industry ventures secondary funds out of my fund of funds before I joined industry ventures make a um, long story short I called Hans back about a year later and said look have you thought about um, you know adding a fund of funds business to your platform because I need to um, sort of have some scale and some partners and and there's pieces that um, that were missing on the sort of fund of funds business and and um, Hans said well that's interesting because uh, we have given some thought to it and the only strategy that makes sense to us is to focus on these new fund managers and um, so we, we quickly put these um, uh, businesses uh, together, and um, a really uh, important um, part of the growth of the strategy um, was uh, Hans and myself and my partner, Ken Wallace, um, who had been on the secondary team at Industry Ventures when I joined Industry in 2009. Um, Ken uh, uh, had a fund had of funds background. I had come out of business school, was working on the secondary side at Industry Ventures. And essentially, when I joined Industry Ventures, Ken and I day-to-day -day have been kind of managing the strategy and building it out since um, that time in collaboration with Hans. And a long way of saying, we took what was a fundamentally um, good strategy to invest in small, early-stage emerging managers, um, and we made it even better 
by taking advantage of the other inefficient and opportunities that we were seeing in the marketplace specifically uh, to add what we call early secondaries, which is typically um, uh, limited partnership interest in venture funds that are maybe two, three years into the life of the fund, unfunded, less than 50% of the original commitment paid in. Um, and we saw, particularly in 2009 and 10, lots of opportunity to buy uh, those kinds of limited partnership uh, stakes because of the sort of global financial crisis and, and lots of institutions and individuals that had made large capital commitments that were still largely unfunded and they desired to get out of those unfunded commitments. And so um, back in 2010, then, we started doing early secondary investments alongside the same, you know, fund of funds, typical fund of funds, primary commitments to fund managers. And then uh, um, uh, some period uh, thereafter, another year or two, we started also uh, adding direct co-investment in companies alongside our fund managers. And sometimes we go direct into those businesses. Sometimes we put them in an SPV um, and pay economics to our fund managers. And so those two elements, the secondary limited partnership um, piece and the direct co-investment piece were not part of the original strategy that I had started um, you know, back in, in 2006 timeframe. And so that's what I mean when I say that the strategy got better um, and, and we started to take advantage of, of these uh, areas of, of opportunities. And so those three components then are the um, three legs of the proverbial stool for what we call our hybrid fund of funds practice at Industry Ventures. So we are, um, we've just uh, raised our fifth uh, hybrid fund of funds at Industry Ventures. Um, it's a, 300 and, a little over $320 million uh, fund um, that we uh, closed earlier this year, and we'll just uh, take the, um, take the uh, first investments here probably in Q4. Um, and then uh, the last piece of the Industry Ventures platform um, is our direct co-investment strategy. I mentioned to you that had been a component of our uh, hybrid fund strategy and, and continues to be. Um, but we realized a couple of years ago that there was a larger co-investment opportunity than we were taking advantage of inside of our fund of funds. We have a limitation of only 20% of our, of our hybrid fund of funds um, being able to do direct co-investment. And that meant that we were investing sort of two to three million dollars, typically in a B round alongside our fund managers who might have done the pre-seed, seed, series A. Um, and we have sort of a unique strategy for our, our direct um, co-investment um, as, as well. Um, but, but the idea that we um, realized was that um, there were opportunities to write larger checks, kind of uh, seven to $10 million checks in those same businesses um, in our sort of uh, same way in partnering with our underlying uh, general partners. And so in fact, um, about two years ago, we raised a dedicated direct co-investment fund um, to be clear, we continue to have our co-investment slice within our hybrid fund of funds. When we make a co-investment in a company, we simply invest out of both funds at the same time, so there aren't conflicts there. So long way way of saying that direct co-investment fund, we raised a little over $200 million of the Industry Ventures platform. And so that's how you get to our kind of three and a half billion dollar platform today with all of these various components between our dedicated secondary funds, our hybrid fund of funds, and our direct co-investment um, uh, business. And so uh, that therein is also, you've started with a simple question of, of my own journey, 
um, of how I got to industry ventures and then how we as a firm um, uh, have collaborated and innovated um, and pivoted, frankly, to um, continue to be relevant and sort of ahead of the trends that we are observing in the asset class to try to produce you know, strategies, one, that make money and that will be good return opportunity for limited partners, um, but, but also, you know, equally as importantly, to maintain relevance and take advantage of the sort of pockets of opportunity in the asset class and a way to partner with general partners, with fund managers, specifically, mostly um, emerging managers, to meet their capital needs both at the fund level, to be an investor in their funds, it's core to what we're doing, but to um, provide uh, uh, you know effective, efficient um, capital that can take advantage of some of the uh, subsequent opportunities beyond just pure fund commitments, be they direct investments, be they SPVs, be they secondaries with those fund managers. And so what we want to be is a highly relevant, active, limited partner who is supporting general partners in the marketplace in any way that we possibly can 